Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Dad's Podcast. Here with my main man, Dr. David Wardy. So good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, man. We've had a little bit of a hiatus. This is like that time of year for us where we take our, our spring break, as they say. And yeah. we had our, our vacations and our, our rest and a nice break. And there was a birthday in there. Uh, a couple birthdays. Welcome to the fourth decade. Right? Right. It, it feels good, man. I'm excited for my 40s. Mm-hmm. I was excited for the 40s too. There was something uh, like a level of credibility that seemed to come in as a, maybe it was a doctor thing. I I found early in my career that some people would kind of look at me and go like, what do you know? You're like 34 or something. Like you don't, you don't know my, my story, my journey. How could you? You're too young. And then people still say that and they're like, okay, wait, wait a second. You're in your forties. Well, what are you doing to stay young and healthy then? <laughs> so it's funny yeah. how the, the conversation changes once you hit that for that 40 mark. It's good, man. And it's, it's interesting that you say that. Cause I've thought about that. I'm like, man, when I was 25 coming right out of school, this was a whole different story. Now, now there's a whole lot more credibility and years under my belt in a practice. And yeah, it's fun just to kind of see the bigger picture and look back a little bit. Yeah. It's funny too, because I always felt like coming out of school, I was almost felt like I was, I don't know if I was cocky would be the the right way to describe my personality, but there was this sort of sense, like I knew everything. Oh yeah. I had that too. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Not that there was any reason for having that, but it was, I don't know what it was. There was this feeling like I knew everything and that I'm constantly being humbled every, every week. Well, and I think for any of our listeners who are like chiropractors or PTs or MDs coming out of school and you're getting ready to, to go at it, you don't know as much as you think you do. I'll tell you right now, that comes from experience and you could talk to anybody else that's been in practice for a while. You're not even close. So humble yourself, learn, be okay with making mistakes. And uh, yeah, you got a long road ahead of you. And, yeah. and it's a bit of an imposter syndrome. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, had an experience of, of wanting to just fake it till you make it a little bit. And I think there, you almost need to put on that, that skin in the beginning just so that you can show up and show up the best way that you can. And, and so maybe, maybe there was in the back of my mind, there was just knowing that, that I was playing a bit of a role but maybe not wanting to admit it at the time. Right. right. And, you know, right. with time, you, you know, I think that it comes, it becomes more of a reality that the, the humility of, of the teachers that sit in front of us every day, which is our, you know, oh, our patients yeah. and our, our family members, our community really, you know, make us ask more important questions about how we can show up for them, how we show up for ourselves. And, and I think there's something about entering into that fourth decade to really, you know, there's that credibility, but more the ownership that you've had more lifetime to, uh, to experience different challenges that show up at, you know, as time goes on. Absolutely, man. We're more seasoned. Yeah. Hair That's included it. with white. 
that's partly why i mean i'm not allowed to grow a beard anymore based on what sonia tells me but the more i look at the the stubble that's there dude oh yeah man i'm white all over these days dr strange is coming out (laughs) full force yeah so uh, yeah go ahead theme yeah let's talk about the theme of today so i had trouble thinking about it but then i was like oh yeah because it's been coming up lately sleep so, you know, we talk about sleep on and off little bits, but we've never really dedicated a full episode. So me and Dr. Nick thought, let's just talk about sleep. Let's kind of dig in, give some foundations of this, and then give some pointers at the back end and, and talk about how you can get in trouble with the do the don'ts and a lot of the do's that you need to be doing that maybe you're not doing to help assist you with sleep because it's so important. You know, in my book, sleep is number one. That's the biggest thing I always tell my patients is you've got to focus on sleep. If we're not doing that, that's where we have to start. Uh, but let's give the why today, man. Yeah. Well, I th- the more we look at it, um, even with, you know, the challenging patients, maybe that, that have come into the practice, they're usually shift workers or people that have massive disruption. Um, people that, that often say, you know, well, I've just always gone to bed at like two in the morning. That's just normal for me. Um, or just the broken rhythm and then sleep, uh, you know, the difficulty getting to sleep or the frequent wake ups, you know, that, that paradigm is so common and it's, it's often like, it's not even on on the tip, tip of the mind for a lot of people. They just, that's just sleep for them. That's just normal to not have a, you know, restorative sleep. So I think even just defining insomnia first and what that looks like. And then, and then like getting into some of the, the symptoms maybe that would start expressing themselves over time. So do you want to, do you want to start there? Yeah, let's, let's start with insomnia. I'll let you tackle that one and then we'll, let's go through the stages, but insomnia, like people that just can't sleep, yeah. like lay down and it's just not happening for them. And then they go into this massive sleep debt and then we're going to have a lot of issues with our overall health. Uh, psychologically, mental, emotional health, physical health, right? And then your biochemical health is going to go to shit because the body's basically not repairing and recovering every night. It's not yeah. detoxing. And man, these poor people struggle, right? And I mean, these are people that need to either be put on meds, they're on CPAP machines. Um, that's usually, I guess, the typical uh, standard these days for people that have insomnia. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, quite a bit of Americans are, are suffering with insomnia. I mean, I think it's becoming more of a problem because I kind of see more and more of these CPAP prescriptions and sleep studies for all these people constantly, constantly. And um, I don't I don't feel like that was a problem earlier in my career when I was running through the history and looking at people's paperwork. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, looking at two like simple paradigms I think when it comes to sleep challenges would be difficulty getting to sleep or really light sleeping and so waking up frequently and then just like waking up in a a very early time in the day and just not able to go back to sleep and that might be like you know three four five in the morning which may be early for some and uh, so those are two paradigms so sleep onset insomnia or these frequent wake-ups throughout the night not able to get back to sleep and I think there's different patterns that show up obviously there's a hormonal rhythm that's important i think often what we see for people who are having difficulty getting to sleep they typically are running a higher cortisol at nighttime and so there's testing where you can do a diurnal which would be like a a daily rhythm for your hormonal secretions of cortisol and and maybe people are peaking 
um, later at night for the cortisol when it should be on its lowest. Uh, maybe they're not getting secretion of melatonin appropriately. So they're usually that one in, in, in my practice, I found that to be more related to, you know, very depletion, very depleted magnesium levels or just high anxiety, not turning off the, the, you know, the sympathetic nervous system, the one where we're stuck in that fight or flight state, and then the hormonal disruption that ensues as a result of, you know, excess stimulants and, you know, TV watching, binge eating at nighttime, you know, all those patterns and behaviors that coincide with that, that high anxious state before bed. What do you think? I think that's one of the more common things, right? Like this is typically the story that people tell is like, I either have trouble getting down or I'm constantly waking up throughout the night. And what we find most of the time, right, is many of these people are doing a lot of the don'ts that you shouldn't be doing. Like you're saying, are there high caffeine or lots of devices before bed or, you know, they're eating too late. I mean, there's all these different things that a lot of people don't understand that they're doing on a daily basis is contributing to their sleep issues. Um, and that's actually what we see. I would, I would say I see most of the time. Uh, and like you're saying, I mean, sometimes it's an easy fix, right? Like we, we make some shifts on their sleep hygiene. We maybe give some supplementation and voila, you know, things are back on track. I mean, I would add just liver toxicity to that, that, that list. You know, a lot yeah. of people that the, the biggest one that I kind of find when I ask about these interruptions is what time is it when you, when you're interrupting mm -hmm. and they're like, Oh, I wake up all the time between two and four. I'm like, Oh, that's the power of the liver and the gallbladder. We detox the liver, I put them on a cleanse, sleep restores pretty quickly, right? Yeah. And I always give the analogy of like sometimes the body just needs a nice oil change a couple times a year, just like your car. The liver has a lot of responsibilities and it's always under quite a bit of a load. So kind of cleaning that guy out every every once in a while is a good idea throughout the year, really for more than just sleep, but it will benefit your sleep quite a bit. Yeah, that's that's huge. Uh, and so that's sort of like the the secondary version which tends to be the more common one where people are not uh or not getting restorative sleep because they keep waking up at particular hours and then finding it difficult to get back to sleep and you know there's there's some things that that i've sort of bought into as far as why that could be happening i mean at nighttime your brain is the lymphatic system is supposed to be flowing and draining from the buildup of the day. And so your brain is technically supposed to shrink or almost compress in size so that those vessels for lymphatic flow are supposed to open up. But if there's a lot of neuroinflammation as a result of toxicity, liver stress, you know, gut health, whatever it may be, that gut brain connection or liver brain connection is going to impact um, these stress hormones that get released as a result of that toxicity buildup and that lack of draining your brain at nighttime, right? That, that impedance of flow. And I, I would assume here too, and you've probably seen this a lot, just that chiropractic component, like that spinal alignment is going to impede the flow. You know, or if it's not, if there isn't corrections or uh, different issues um, in the, the spinal alignment, you're probably going to have a, some significant interference in the lymphatic flow as well. You know, I see, you know, it's interesting a lot of the times when I see the biggest shift on sleep is typically when somebody comes in with me that hasn't been adjusted before, isn't a regular person who's using chiropractic care from a lifestyle place. And sleep is sometimes not an issue that they're aware of, right? Like, so yeah. they may have sleep issues, but they weren't aware of how much better it could be until they got adjusted. And then they had a really good night's sleep and they're like, oh, holy shit, I'm not sleeping that great. Like that was way better. So there's a conversation there, right? I mean, everybody has this different, we talk about biological set points, but I would 
add, I'm going to make this up on the spot, but kind of a biological awareness, right? Of like where your body is and like, honestly, what is available to it more possibly? Because some people are so just used to what is, that that's just like, oh no, I'm fine. I sleep fine. I don't have a problem with my sleep. And then the moment they get a better night's sleep, it's like, holy shit, I was not sleeping that well. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what I get. Like I'll have somebody come in, they come in for, you know, they're either NIS or like their first, you know, adjustment. And the next visit, they're like, doc, I slept so good. And there's two things going on there, right? Number one, we're removing interference from the brain. Oxygen is able to move freely from the brain down to the body, body back to the brain, getting better oxygen exchange. Uh, the better lymph flow for sure. And we'll see that because a lot of people will get headaches sometimes after their first adjustment it doesn't typically after, after the second or third one. But once I get up into that upper cervical spine, start moving stuff, it's kind of like the floodgates open and the body has to dump. Right. So I'll get a lot of people that typically may have a headache on and off, but it's more of a toxicity issue because it, it clears up and they don't have them after that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, huge, right. Spinal alignment, just the way you like relax your head on your pillow. A lot of people can't get comfortable at night because their spine and their, their, their body is so subluxated and distorted that like, how can you get good rest? Man? I mean, I had a patient today asking me like, talk, what do people do without chiropractic care? I was like, I have no idea, man, because I could not live without it. Like, so, uh, yeah, it's huge. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things that it's a root, right? And and there's so many things that come from it if you're, if you're not taking care of it. Yeah, and and one thing that you said but didn't maybe articulate in a way that you did uh, that I think is important for listeners, and that's just that the nervous system. So like, you know, uh, that fight or flight state can be activated and prolonged or perpetuated as a result of subluxation. Do you want to talk a little bit about that too? Well, yeah, and so yeah. like going back to like that first visit, whether it's NIS or the adjustment, like when you reset the nervous system and the nervous system gets back in the balance, you know, if it's a manual adjustment, a lot of times it's, you're just getting like hitting the reset button on your brain. So yeah. like, like Nick saying, you go from this fight or flight survival defense mode right back into parasympathetic tone. Like it's this massive reset, like you're hitting the reset on your VCR or on the yeah. computer. Right. And then same thing with NIS, you know, when we get coherence of the active system, we go in and reset those things. It's, it's no different. Right. So the biggest thing I would tell people is like an adjustment. A lot of times you could compare to hitting the reset button on the computer, you know, and that computer is not running well. I mean, we've all had those days with our laptops or our desktops where the computer just starts running like shit. What do we do? We go in, we look at the processes, you hit control, delete, you start like turning stuff off. And what are you doing? You're trying to balance out the systems in your computer so the thing will run better. Well, that's what an adjustment does. We're removing that interference, removing subluxation from the spine, and we're allowing that intelligence to basically like a stream move from the brain down to the body and the body back to the brain. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I, I love how you articulate what happens with alignment and, you know, these analogies that, that I think are easy to digest for people, which is super important. So those are those are sort of the criteria. Obviously, we can flesh them out a little bit more, but those are the main types of insomnia and, and where those interference patterns can show up from a biochemical, hormonal point of view um to a well, neurological one, one. yeah let's talk about metabolism man how about yeah. people that wake up too early at four yeah jump in. That, yeah so metabolic health can play into sleep problem so 
you know, a lot of times we'll get people that say, doc, I, for some reason, like I'll sleep fine, but I just keep waking up like at four or four 30 and I'm beating my alarm clock by like an hour and an hour and a half or two hours. And it's not the norm for them. And typically the, the conversation there is I say, look, a lot of times if your blood sugar drops at nighttime, your cortisol is going to rise and that's going to kick you out of your sleep pattern early in the morning. So yep. a lot of times if we're struggling with maybe insulin sensitivity problems or our metabolism is out of whack, you're going to see these problems with waking up a little too early or it's not the norm for you. So a uh, general fix that we give people until we fix it long-term is, Hey, uh, before you go to bed, do a small teaspoon of like some local honey, you could throw some sea salt on there. Why? Well, the body needs energy to sleep. So a lot of times if you're eating dinner and then you're going to bed and your metabolism is all out of whack and you run out of energy when, when you're sleeping, that's why the body's kicking that cortisol up because your blood sugar is dropping too fast. Yeah. And that's a lot of times where we'll see that. Um, and then long-term, of course, this is a, a fix for looking at your met metabolic health and seeing why we're having these problems and cleaning up the diet, possibly implementing some fasting and some tools for the sensitivity issues with your insulin and doing some other things like that long-term. But that's another big one, man. So even metabolism will play into some insomnia or some of these disturbances. Yeah. Yeah. It's important you said that. And it, it's funny when it, whenever we take a group through our fasting experience, everybody has like, especially in the first two days, everybody has this wow factor when it comes to their sleep. And it's just because metabolically speaking, the body's, you know, hitting the reset button. So those hormonal wake-ups aren't there anymore. And the body's just in deep, deep rest and repair. So that, yeah, that, that was, that's super important to address. And the interesting thing too, is like what we're describing here are these little micro, you know, cosm of, of the whole. And technically, I mean, or typically I should say, is that there's usually a pattern of a bunch of these things happening at the same time. And, you know, that's why David and I always talk about more of a multi-therapeutic approach and that it's never just one thing and yet like address the low hanging fruit wherever possible, really, you know, hit home that sleep hygiene and, and start, you know, putting some light and attention on these different areas that we're discussing because each of them in their own right can be, you know, a fix but uh, they're also part of the, the underlying reason. So uh, yeah, each of those are really, really critically important. Now, another, another reason for wake up in the middle of the night, I find is people's digestive system. So I have a number of people that, uh, you know, irritable bowel disease or some sort of like, there's an urgency that actually gets them out of bed and, you know, talk about, you know, that gut brain connection and toxicity burden that that chronic state of inflammation, um, the body's trying to obviously eliminate in, in a time of day when your body's not meant to be eliminating. Uh, and that's just that chronic inflammatory cycle as a result of some maybe unknown at this point cause for that inflammation. So cleaning up what you do during the day, obviously, and maybe it's food sensitivity testing to, you know, a proper full complete stool analysis to find out what kind of gut inflammation is going on. You know, testing in general, even for the metabolic health, as David mentioned, this is all important to get an assessment uh, so, you, so you know where to, to put your energy, right? And if it's not an issue, obviously, you don't have to put your energy there. But until you get some objective data, you don't really know, which leads us into the aura ring and metrics. Data. Right? Yeah, yeah. data is important, man. You know, measuring, you know, we talk about this all the time. We're big on the aura ring. Uh, I like the whoop band as well. I may be defecting from aura and trying the whoop. So I may be an nice. early, yeah, I'll let you know how that goes. We'll see. But 
Yeah, I mean, we got to measure, right? I mean, there's some people that say these things still aren't crazy accurate, but it's better to get some data versus none and not having yep. a clue. And I think the aura out of most of these devices is pretty accurate at giving us a gist of what's going on with our sleep cycles, right? Because you're able to monitor the light, the REM, the deep, uh, interruptions, all that stuff you're able to see uh, through your ring when you're sleeping throughout the night. And again, like sleep hygiene, right? There's the time you sleep and then there's the makeup of what that looks like. And what people need to understand is it's not just good enough to say like, oh, well, I go to bed. I don't wake up. I wake up in the morning. I sleep good. No, that doesn't mean that you sleep well. You could be sleeping seven, eight hours and getting almost no REM sleep or no deep sleep. And you're not getting that nice restorative sleep for your brain, for cognitive, cognitive function and learning and creation and things like that for the next day. Uh, even, you know, there's sort of research now, man, it's interesting with our REM cycle that believe it or not, your sleep quality the night before an event, like a traumatic event can affect the way you handle yeah. that actual instance and that trauma. So, I mean, we're talking about adaption. I mean, it's as simple as that, right? Like, oh, wow, who knew you sleep better, you adapt better the following day, right? So, I mean, you look at some of these things and you, you have to understand that this is, an, this is an important thing that we need to focus on. And like Nick and me are trying to get at, there's so many different things that can contribute to problems here. But just finding like the pill or melatonin and saying I'm sleeping better, that's not the fix, people. Like Nick's trying to get into like, you need to look a little deeper and find the long-term correction or maybe you don't need to be on melatonin all the time to sleep. But where I see a lot of people with sleep on is they go so far, they find a fix to where they're sleeping better and then it stops. They don't go look for the long-term fix of why they're not sleeping well. They're using the acute solution to kind of like help them in the meantime, but they're not doing the long-term stuff. Totally. Uh, I mean, another metric that we find uh, as an underlying factor is, is uh, brain mapping. And we find the neurological systems really messed up a lot of people that have insomnia or depression or mental emotional challenges we we find some really interesting chronic um, delta wave upregulation in the prefrontal cortex meaning like their 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 cognitive ability their their memory their recall their personality so much of that is dictated in the prefrontal cortex and when you're yeah yeah, so there's so many factors there and and what we see is that on mapping someone's brain, that area of the brain is literally stuck in a delta wave. So it's kind of like the brain's trying to make up for the sleep deficit or the really you know poor quality of sleep from the night before by trying to run delta programs in, a, in an area of the brain that once awake, you should be running a nice balance between you know beta, alpha, and, and some of these other frequencies that have to do with being alert and awake. And so much of what we see in that cognitive emotional side of things coincides with these high high you know sleep states that are showing up in the brain when you're supposed to be awake you know what's interesting about that you know as you're talking i was thinking when i'm mapping doing an is what do i see most of the time and believe it or not i actually see hemisphere issues more than i do a pineal gland issue when i'm mapping the brain as far as when they tell me they have sleep issues right yeah. so for our listeners what does that mean so if it's a pineal issue this means that there's an imbalance of their melatonin and their sleep cycle okay if it's a hemisphere issue this is what nick's talking about this is a prefrontal cortex 
issue where it's not linking up possibly with our limbic system. And there, there's basically a, a, a kink to where you're not running the right cycle uh, of, of these brain states. And like Nick's saying is like, that's a sleep cycle, but you're awake and you're trying to be alert during the day and you're still there. And that's why a lot of times anxiety and brain fog and, you know, energy disturbances and depression and all these things can start rising really fast when you're stuck in these brain states and your, your brain can't shift gears. Mm -hmm. um, but interesting enough, it, that kind of tells you something, right? If I'm seeing more of these hemispheres, this is more of people just not adapting to stress well yep. versus like this being an actual pineal gland issue where the brain's having trouble releasing enough melatonin or the sleep cycles off. Yeah. And, and to, to add some more there, I mean, a common phenomenon for these people that are also experiencing sleep issues, the occipital lobes, which is where we're doing a lot of visual processing is always jacked up as well. And, and that, you know, if we're not getting proper visual processing, our REM cycles are going to be messy. And so the, you know, our subconscious and clean out that should be happening with our REM and just sort of processing a lot of the, the, the visual stimulus that happens during the day, it can get quite messy. And so we can see these really short REM cycles you know, even short uh, delta cycles are happening when we're sleeping and, and now they're showing up during the day. So yeah, the, the lobes are, I think are really important. I think so much of where maybe typical thinking might go would be into the HPA axis, obviously, which is playing a role, but, but we're sort of missing some of these other components of the brain when we're just focusing on HPA and vagus nerve stimulation, which is all obviously super, super important. But then, you know, there's obviously other pieces of the picture. I love that you talked about the occipital there because like you have thalamus, right? So that's yeah. like, that's, it's not just visual, right? That's auditory. That's basically all senses except for smell and everybody. So what your brain does at nighttime, especially during REM, it's actually shutting down and it's taking all that information that you learned that day and it's processing and putting it either into short or long-term memory. So you can actually take in that stuff for long-term memory use of what you just learned. But if you're not getting that good REM cycle sleep after a day of like studying and learning, you're going to be shit out of luck because you're not going to be able to hold on to it very long because you're not getting good sleep. You know, I wish I had known more about all this sleep stuff when I was in grad school, man, because I mean, I probably would have tried to sleep a little bit more versus staying up all night studying and thinking that was doing me a better job, right? Totally. But um, yeah, it's huge, man, right? Like more of the hemispheres type stuff like you're talking plays a bigger role there. Um, so real quick, man, because I want to get through all this stuff. So there well, was one, one thing I want to just touch yeah. on based on okay. something that you said, which I think is really important. There's a whole... Like if we're going to take this conversation, not that we have to spend too much time here, but into optimization and, and like how our brain learns and the BDNF that gets upregulated, which is brain derived neurotropic factor for like increasing cognition and just overall performance. Uh, there's a state of flow that's really important. And this happens, the state of flow can happen when we're learning something new or we're integrating some things. And I think in our, in our desire to make these massive improvements and changes and like biohack and make huge steps forward, um, we forget about the pause and the recovery process. And so a big part of flow and, and enabling flow through, you know, doing challenging things, things that challenge us or even neurofeedback or some of the other tools that can be utilized, we need a break period. 
just like with exercise, if you're learning something new, sometimes we get frustrated with ourselves because we haven't quite got it the way we want to. And we, so we keep, keep pushing ourselves, but there's so much importance in the recovery period. And so one of the, one of the key components of flow research is to actually push yourself to a certain point and stay in the sweet spot and don't or stop before you hit your end point. So you want to you basically leave the activity you're doing when you feel like you're sort of riding a wave a little bit and then, and then pulling back and, and moving into a recovery phase. And so I think even just having that mindset during our day of like, yeah, push it a little bit, but leave on a high note as opposed to leave when you burnt yourself out. Does that make sense? And I oh, think it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think it's really important when we pay attention to that and then take that into a recovery time, which is sleep so that we're, we're dip, dipping our toes into the water of challenge or whatever that may be, but just enough. So we're still loving the process and then pulling out. It's kind of like, um, almost like eating, like, you know, you're eating this amazing meal and then just kind of leaving a bit of the meal there. Like, you know, you got the steak in front of you. It's like this gorgeous meal that you've prepped. And then maybe you just leave a little bit for leftovers tomorrow. You know, I don't know <laughs> if I can leave thing. the steak, maybe the veggies, Nick, but not the, the veggies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. the veggies yeah. yeah. No, but I love that. Right. Like that would be the true definition of active recovery versus what they call yes. active recovery now. Right. Yeah. So that, that's awesome, man. So that's really good. So I'm actually going to try that because, yeah. you know, I think a lot of the, the talk for most people when it comes to things like that are like, Oh no, push it to failure, push it to yeah. failure. But maybe that's not good advice. Like maybe it's more like you're saying, staying in the sweet spot and then ending on the sweet spot and then moving into recovery. So I, yeah. I love that. That's very good. I, and I don't know why I was thinking of you just because we were talking about maybe guns beforehand, but you're talking about a, a shooting event that you're or not shooting event, a shooting sort of getaway father and son thing. And I was thinking like, obviously that requires a tremendous amount of concentration and focus and like really being in a state where you're breathing and your, your movements have to be very particular and, and it, you may have so much fun doing that, that you end up like, kind of like getting exhausted by the end of the day. Like, oh, it you, is. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Men, it's mentally and physically. Exhausting. Totally. Yeah, totally. for sure, man. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. I learned that the hard way when I started getting into more of the shooting stuff. Yeah. But there's, there's quite a bit there. Yeah. I would tell you more mental than physical, honestly. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think like, it's just nice to have a real world example of like, yeah. you know, where David's sort of pushing himself in a particular area and, and tasking a whole lot of like, I mean, your body and mind are, are literally one when you're in that practice state. And, well, uh, and, and to kind of merit what we're talking about, man, like when I'm rested and recovered and I'm out at the range shooting, everything's just on yeah, but if I don't totally. feel that great that day, I'm foggy, man, and my shooting's a little off, and like things, my body doesn't match up with my brain. Like it's yeah. very noticeable, man. And like you're talking about zoom and the lens there. I mean, this is just the people in life in general. We're talking about a bigger lens. Like when you don't sleep well, everything's off. How you interact with people, you know, how you're showing up in your day, your work quality, and mm -hmm. and everything that you're doing. So I mean, this is huge. So that was a little bit of a sidebar, but let's, let's take it oh, back. To very that. important one. So real yeah. quick, man, uh, there's around 70 sleep disorders. Now we talked about one of the main ones, which is insomnia. Uh, just some other ones real quick, restless leg syndrome. Yep. A lot of people struggle with that one. We have sleep apnea, which we, we spoke a little bit when we talked to Dr. Oshi yep. on the biological dentistry stuff and then snoring. A lot of people don't, don't sleep well because they're not breathing well and they're snoring all night. So 
you have a lot of these other things that are more of these common ones. Um, let's dive into sleep cycles. Let's talk a little bit about REM and deep to kind of finish up and then uh, talk a little bit about some do's and don'ts mm -hmm. uh, to help, you know, our listeners out. So I'm going to stick within like the, basically there's four stages of sleep. We have like the non-REM sleep. This is when we're getting down. Uh, this is like right when you're going to bed, uh, body's kind of just falling into this first stage. Um, some people, you know, are just kind of like, there's a lightness there, right. As we're starting to go. Uh, and then we start to move still into a non-REM cycle and then we move into a deep cycle. Yep. So the deep sleep cycle is typically where there's not a whole lot of brain activity and the body's kind of shutting down. Right. I mean, we have, you know, quite a bit, uh, of a shift here as far as like what's happening in our bodies when we're moving into that deep sleep. Um, Buddy, I'm big on telling people in deep sleep, this is typically when we're not getting to bed early enough. So a lot of people get to bed too late. They miss that deep sleep cycle. They're not getting enough. They're getting a lot of REM, but they're not getting that deep cycle. And you know, that as far as deep cycle, what people need to understand about deep sleep is there's tons and tons of things that we get out of our body when our body gets that nice deep sleep cycle. I mean, you're getting immune system benefit. We're getting cellular regeneration uh, this actually helps with learning uh, the following day. Um, this helps with, uh, I, I said cellular regeneration, but just tissue regeneration repair, right? Um, things like that. We're building bone and muscle. So that deep sleep cycle for me, I, I feel is where we get the recovery, more the physical recovery of our body. Uh, and it's very, very important, right? Um, anything to add on the deep? Yeah, I just I noticed for me that uh, my body will play catch up on on deep sleep, and, you know. So if so if I have a I don't know a late night or uh, maybe early morning, and there's some sort of disruption, maybe it's travel or whatever the story is, that my body really likes to get around two hours of deep sleep, and it it really moves towards that. And sometimes we'll we'll do a little bit of sleeping on the weekend and sort of check the box of my deep sleep. Um, my deep sleep has been solid, but I always find it interesting that our body will move into a balancing mechanism on the following day. I notice that with REM too. It's like there are some catch-ups that happen. And I think that's important to point this out because I think people go back to the amount of time in bed equals better recovery. And it's not the case. Right. You know, this is where tracking your sleep stages is so important but I'll have nights sometimes where I'm really going to bed too late. And my, I, I'm my latency, which is the time between like putting your head in the pillow and actually going to sleep. I'll have that drop. Like sometimes within minutes, right in deep, like I don't even go into any light stage sleep. It's just boom, right into deep. And then if, you know, after about two hours, I'll come out or an hour and a half. And then I only have like maybe two cycles for myself where, you know, one really solid long, deep, and then maybe one or maybe two other little mini deep sleep, like where you'd be sort of touching your toe in and then, uh, then into the light. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see. Um, and I find that people too, like, especially when it comes to recovery and like not healing from injuries or whatever the story is, they tend to have really poor deep sleep cycles. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you'll notice too, uh, for any of the people who take naps on and off every once in a while, yeah, I do that sometimes. Too. This is kind of that sleep cycle. If you take a nice solid deep nap and you usually go over an hour and then either you get woken up somehow, this is that like, oh, I feel groggy and disoriented and feel like shit for the next hour or two. Yeah. That's typically because you were in a deep sleep cycle when they woke you up from a nap. 
Uh, and then on the other end, like what Nick's saying is if you get that solid two hour nap and you wake up on your own, a lot of times you don't feel the grogginess and the disorientation. You feel that nice recovery, right? Like you, yeah. you feel rebounded really quick. And so a lot of times people will get this even just during naps, right? But like you're saying at nighttime, if you skip this cycle, we're not getting enough. That's when you don't feel good in the morning. You're either groggy or grumpy and disoriented in the morning. Achy, sore. Yeah. And you may have gotten REM and you may have been dreaming, but you wake up disoriented and just not feeling great. So again, the makeup, right? Yeah. So let's talk about REM. So in REM, a little different. Now our brain activity is increasing. Uh, and this is more of this dream state, right? This is where we're going to have these more intense dreams. And you can even have uh, a little bit, uh, I would say a little bit of movement possibly here during REM. And then uh, what are we going to get here? We're going to get faster breathing, some increased heart rate of blood pressure. Typically for males, this is when you get uh, penile erections while you're sleeping. So there's going to be some hormone stuff happening there. Uh, some rapid eye movement, another common sign of REM, right? Um, but very important as well, right? Like we talk about REM for longevity, right? So, I mean, this is more of, a, again, going to helping with brain function. This is the cognitive, the learning, the creative side of what helps us move into that next day and show up better in that, in that aspect. And if we're not getting that good REM cycle, we're going to note, it'll be noticeable and how we're showing up and performing. Yeah. How, I'm curious, how does your heart rate variability show up as your night goes on? Cause I find that there's in general, there's a trajectory of an upward climb to heart rate variability as the night right. goes on. Yeah. Which I find is interesting because, you know, with, with longer site or more REM happening later in the, in the sleep cycle, um, you're getting more variability in that, in that heart rate rhythm. Um, so That's I don't know what, what you've see. noticed. Yeah. 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 So yeah. like I, I typically show on the lower end when I'm in the deep sleep cycle and then I slowly rise when I start hitting the rim before I wake up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for sure the variability is going up and that makes sense. Right. I mean, like we just talked about some of that physiology, we're getting increased heart rate. We're getting, you know, a change in, in physiology and we're moving more into that state. The brain's more active. Um, and so there's just a whole lot more going on in that, in that cycle, but there's not one better than the other, everybody. I mean, these are both very important cycles that you need to achieve every night. I know for me, when I measure, when I get about an hour and a half of both, like I'm solid. If yeah. I can get two hours of deep and an hour and a half of REM, I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm cush, buddy. I feel amazing. Yeah. Like that day, like I wake up like a new person. And then if I'm not getting any of those, not where I want to be, right? And for me, man, the biggest thing I've noticed that affects that is me not making good decisions on my sleep hygiene, 100%. getting down at the right time. Anytime I neglect my bedtime, I start staying up too late. I'm putting a fork in my, in my, in my sleep issues, you know, yeah. like it, it's me, it's nothing else. And, and, and honestly, when I get back on track, my rhythm comes back and I feel good. And it's so uh, call me 40, man, whatever it is, but like, I'm literally at that age now where it's just not worth it to me to stay up late. Like for me, like I'd rather get to bed at a decent time and, and be able to function the following day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your brain health is totally tied to, to your quality of sleep, you know, your decision-making process, your level of agitation, your, your likelihood to, to maintain, you know, good, good state of resilience, despite the, you know, the chaos of the day. You know, it's totally dependent on your recovery process. And, and there's so much integration. There's so much not known about, I think, these sleep cycles and the REM and like what's happening in that sort of mind-body level. But, I mean, it's powerful. 
uh, and it's, it's, it's probably the same at your house. I mean, it's such a common conversation. Like how was your sleep last night and how did things go? I mean, we ask our boys every morning, we ask them what they dreamt. Like, I think it's really important to engage and just sort of create a new relationship with their sleep again. And really, you know, we sp- you spend such a huge chunk of your, your life <laughs> in bed, right? Like, so, you know, I think it would be important to talk a little bit about sleep hacks. I know you like to use the earthing mat and some other things to o- optimize your sleep and REM. And what have yeah. you noticed to be influencers on, on those different cycles and stages? Well, before we, I, I do want to get into that, but let's do this real quick. Let's talk about what's affecting their quality real quick, since we just talked about quality real quick. Yep. So like, and the reason I want to is because these are things that people use all the time and they're not aware that it's probably, so like first one is alcohol. Mm-hmm. Everybody, this is not helping you, okay? Like, I know it helps you fall asleep better, probably helps calm you, and you're going to get into that nice light sleep, but you're not going to get those deep stages of sleep. It is going to affect your REM sleep, and it can lead to more disrupted sleep. So if you're using alcohol to sleep, not a good idea, not the best solution there. Uh, Caffeine uh, and pseudoephedrine, so some drugs actually can cause insomnia, and if you're doing too much caffeine, which I find a lot with people, they're doing more than one cup, cup of coffee a day. They're usually at two to three a day. They're one in the early afternoon. This is affecting your sleep, everybody. I promise you that caffeine takes up receptors for adenosine. You lose that happiness to fall asleep and get that deeper sleep. So those will get in your way. Um, some antidepressive drugs will affect our REM sleep. Uh, people who smoke a lot and then even people who use marijuana this is going to affect your sleep quality. Again, you feel like you're getting that nice, oh, I'm heavy, I'm falling asleep. But the reality is it is affecting the quality of sleep that you could be having. And then temperature, okay? This is a big one I speak to people all the time. A lot of times they're finding that sleeping at a lower temperature at night shows better sleep uh, hygiene. So a lot of people, you have your thermostat too high in your house. You know, I like mine somewhere around 68 all the time when I sleep, if it's any higher than that, literally, and I'm too hot, I don't get good sleep, man. I'm like, so temperature is a big one for me. Yep. You know, I was out of town and this bed that we had at the hotel, you could set the temperature either to warm or cold. Oh man, that sounds and, amazing. And then it learns from you and it figures out what temperature you're sleeping the best at. But so I turned mine all the way to cold. And man, I slept solid when I was at town. I mean, it was nice. It felt kind of, I was like on this light ice pack <laughs> with my buddy all night. And I got really good sleep. So it was interesting. But yeah, temperature is cool. a big one too. Like turn your thermostat down. Um, yep. And then light. I would, other thing, I would add to that list just light. Your room should be blacked out. You know, figure out a way if you have little lights all over your room to put little, these little stickers you can stick on these lights on power strips and on your TV and on your speakers and all the crap we have in technology that gives all these little bits of light that also can affect the quality. Um, so yeah, man, let's move into some of the hacks and, and some of the things that we can do uh, to help. So before I get into any like fancy tools or supplements, honestly, just the schedule, that's very important, everybody. My big thing I tell everybody from a hygiene standpoint, go to bed at the same time every night, at least within a half hour, whether it's 8, 39, 9, 30, 10, doesn't matter, and get up around the same time every morning. When you do this consistently, you're going to build a rhythm over time, and you'll know you're there when you just kind of start getting really sleepy at that bedtime, and then you kind of start beating your alarm clock by maybe five to 10 minutes in the morning. That's how you're in that nice rhythm, and you always want to try to be creating these circadian rhythms 
for yourself, but you cannot do that when you don't have a good sleep schedule. Now, that's probably the first one I would tell you is very, very important. Yeah, and I, I love that. And I find that when I when I highlight what I'm going to do right when I wake up in the next day, because I, I find that really being consistent with that wake up time is really the sweet spot. And so we the, the nighttime I find self-corrects because we've been so diligent with really honoring that that morning time but i always encourage people to instill in something that you're really looking forward to doing right when you wake up so for me that's movement and exercise i don't like working out later in the day and i just it can't because of the kids and everything work or what have you so i get excited about my my practice that i'm gonna be doing the next day and i think that building something into what you're going to be looking forward to when when waking up is super important for that consistency well, and like what Nick's saying is I would keep it at like something like that, like is it yoga or I'm going to go work out, not what am I doing and what's happening at work and shit like that. Right? I'm going to so turn my up, phone on right when I wake up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, let's not do that. Like yeah. what Nick's trying to talk about is clearing your mind. The daily practice. Having yeah. a positive of what is my body going to feel like? How am I going to nurture my body in the morning when I rise? Not, yeah. oh my God, I got this at work and I have that at work and I have to take the kids out. I mean, yeah. you do that and you're just setting yourself for failure because they're totally. going to be in your thoughts all night right so clear your mind yeah and there's nothing there's nothing exciting or uh, there's nothing to look forward to if that's if you're waking up to the monkey mind so you want right. to wake up to some peace and serenity yes. and, and you time like that's another big piece like yeah. no one's bugging me at that time it's just me and i love that time that i have to myself in the morning it's cherish it Oh, that's a good time to make that to-do list, right? So once you're stretching out in your body, you're nurturing your body, you're doing stuff, then you can think about your day, the following day, and what that's going to look like. So save it for the following day, everybody. Clear the mind, right? Um, Environment, man, like you just said, we do a lot of sleep in our life. So why not invest in it? So I always tell people, like, when you hit your bed... That should be the most comfortable place all day in your entire environment in your life, from the mattress to the sheets to the pillows. I mean, honestly, like invest in your sleep. I mean, I love my bed. When I I make a joke at home, I don't go lay in it until I'm ready to go to sleep because if I go and lay on my bed, I'm out. I'm out. So like I avoid my bed till it's time to go to sleep because I will pass out. So yeah, good sleep environment, very important. And then temperature, lights, sounds, all that would play into that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that. I mean, that's literally a sanctuary. It's for, for being with your partner and it's for, for sleeping in, and it should be just an absolute sanctuary and, and like whatever capacity someone has an ability to invest in their, their bed, like at least clear the space, make it look like uh, an absolute place that you're, it's just a desirable place to be. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. So what about like, I mean, another thing that people can do on that, just the lifestyle thing is like, try taking a cold shower before bed, try taking a hot shower before bed, do one of those things that contrast and, and see what works best for you because uh, changing your temperature is huge for sleep. Yeah. Cryotherapy. I like, I enjoy that. I have noticed when I do do that, I do get better sleep when the body's cooled down. Um, so yeah, like Nick's saying, like those little hacks can make a big difference. Another one I'd add to that is brain tapping. If you have a brain tap, uh, do brain tap that kind of will shift the brainwave state, help put you kind of in that deep sleep state you need to start entering into to help you get that deeper sleep. 
Um, other thing I would just say to add to that list is like, don't exercise right before bed. You know, I know some people that like to exercise at like past 8 PM and then they go to bed like at 10 or 11. Don't do that. Yeah, you're ramping, up. you're ramping cortisol up at the gym and then you're going to try to get good sleep. It's not going to happen for you. You're going to sleep, but you're not getting good quality sleep. Yeah. And um, it, like just, just a one comment on that. If, if someone's doing that just because their lifestyle circumstance change, like hit the gym as hard as you can on the weekend like switch it up. Like maybe you're only doing two really heavy days in the week. And I know it may challenge you a little bit, but if you're, if your work schedule, your day schedule doesn't allow for that, do a yoga class at night, do something different that allows you to move your body. And then probably you find you'll get just as good results in your body just by honoring that sleep rhythm a little bit more. So yeah, very, low very intensity, good. low intensity. Totally. Um, other ones, uh, don't lie in bed. So if you're not tired, sit up a little bit, read a book, start journaling, like mm -hmm. find something to do. It's not good to just sit there and lie in bed if you can't fall asleep. Yeah. Typically, it's going to be better to do like a soothing activity. Uh, so that's a winding down process. So we get their winding down in there, right? So like have an actual routine when it's time to go to bed for at least an hour before it's time to go to bed, uh, what that may look like. So like what Nick's saying is like, maybe that's a hot bath or a cold shower. And then you jump in bed and you journal for a little bit. And, you know, as you start to get heavy, then you just put it down and you go to sleep, but yeah. you should have some form of routine moving into your bedtime routine. hundred percent. Yeah. And then no electronics. I think this is a no brainer at this point. A lot of people are constantly on their phones or they're on TV or, you know, they're on their laptops or they're still doing work in their bedroom and all these things. Like Nick is saying, it is a sanctuary. Your bedroom should be the sanctuary. Your work does not come into your bedroom. Mm -hmm. You know, like the phones and all. I mean, those things should not be a place that's even in your bed. Yeah. Uh, so just start making some barriers for yourself and create some ground rules. And, and you may see a big shift in just the quality and, and the type of sleep you're getting. Yeah. Cool. Now supplementation, do you want to jump into that? So, uh, I like, you know, when it comes to supplementation, you hear a lot of people talking about melatonin, which is usually the more popular one, but in all honesty, man, I use a supplement that I give from optimal health systems called REM sleep. And the main ingredient in that along with some other stuff is tryptophan. So believe it or not, I get a whole lot better results with that one than I do the melatonin. Um, tryptophan is great because it gives that nice heaviness, uh, to help you knock out and get into that nice deep sleep cycle. Uh, and I, I typically have better results, but then again, I have some people melatonin works better. So, I mean, yep. you know, we're not all the same and sometimes one's going to work for one person better than the other, but, you know, melatonin and tryptophan are typically two of the big ones. Uh, what else we got? Uh, there's some other ones where they're going to throw GABA in there and yep. valerian root, uh, with some other ones. The, the magnesium breakthrough from Optimizer has been awesome. Yeah. I love that one. Magnesium is yeah. another big one, right? For a lot of people for sleep. Uh, but yeah, those are some just general supplementation things we can try to help us get better quality sleep. Mm -hmm. you, know, right now, you mentioned, you mentioned restless legs too. And I mean, I often find that when we get the right dose and the right kind of magnesium in the body, um, it's been, it's been a game changer for people. So that, that is important. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead. No, no. And, 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 I, and I think as far as supplements, I mean, 
I'm playing with B6 and B12, like a yep. small dose before bed right now, man. Because yep. believe it or not, the other night I did take my dose later in the day. I took a smaller dose and I noticed a pretty good night of sleep. So I'm going to start dosing that a little bit before bed to see if that helps. But even possibly B6 and B12 yeah. uh, before bed. B6 is such an important cofactor for the conversion of serotonin into melatonin and, and, and dopamine. So that's that's those all B6 dependent enzymes. Yeah. So that, one, that one's huge. Yeah. yeah. And I always say like when it comes to your sleep and optimizing it, I always say throw the kitchen sink at, at your sleep. So you do all the lifestyle, pra- you do whatever you can to make recovery the, the most important part of your day, you know, and, and I think it, it pays off. And so I've even played with really high doses of melatonin. Uh, there's melatonin suppositories, like there's different ways to get these things in and we don't always absorb as well. Sometimes we're missing the cofactor, like you mentioned with uh, the B6. Sometimes we're missing the precursor, the tryptophan. I even just give uh, full spectrum amino acids, like the, the body health ones, uh, as a as a, just a building of foundation, like working on that cellular healing. And then when you're getting into bedtime, like that little mini dose of 5-HTP or the melatonin just send, tends to work so much better because now you got a foundation for building blocks. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we hit it all, man. Yeah. We, we kind of gave them a nice summary. And for our listeners, what does this apply to? If you're not healing in any aspect of your health, whether it's mental, emotionally, whether it's physically, whether we have actual disease processes going on and we're not sleeping well, you need to get it together. This is where you need, you should have been working on this a long time ago because this is like of the utmost importance for your healing. So if you haven't taken that sleep serious, it's time to do it now and start making that journey to, to improve it. Yeah. And, and one, and one thing that I, that not that we have time to get into this, but we'll get into a future podcast with, um, um, that our the dentist, uh, Dr. Why do I say your last name? Oshi. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the structural components because so many people that get prescribed the CPAP and a lot of these different sleep apparatuses actually just have poor structural makeup of of their airways and like that's the core issue and and you know to your point of like i never saw so many cpap <laughs> prescriptions as we do now and it's like the toxicity build up the chronic inflammation the poor diet choices all these things are going to contribute to the structure of our you know facial structures so that's a huge huge piece uh, and, and even just weak tongues not yeah. even tongue tie just tongue, tie, weak yeah. tongue totally like weak muscles in the mouth and tongue can affect the way your tongue sits in your mouth when you yep. sleep. This can contribute to snoring. This can contribute to why you're not breathing when you do a sleep study. Yep. So again, like Nick's saying, like going further, you know, yeah, you get a CPAP, you're hooking yourself up to an oxygen machine all night. Like I laugh brother, but like, I'll never do that shit. I don't no. care how bad, like I'll, I'll fix the <laughs> Unless I'm in a hyperbaric chamber. Right. Like I'll fix the problem before I start hooking a hose to my mouth while I'm sleeping and not to knock on people because it does help them when they're struggling. Yeah, of course it does. And it is a game changer for people really. Yeah. I mean, it is, but like I'm saying, figure out why you're not exactly don't just hook the hose and then call it quits. Like you need to figure out why that's the problem. Um, and, and yeah, we'll get with Dr. Oshi again. We'll talk more about that, but so important. Yeah. Yeah. Cool buddy. Yeah, that was, that was good. It's important for people to have a reference point. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing this one with, with a lot of people that are, what do I do for my sleep? Well, you, you got, you got to, you know, there's only, it's, I find this is what I love about the podcast. There's, there's so many things that need to be shared with people when they come in. 
And, you know, so, you know, those of you listening, please, you know, share this out to people that are struggling with sleep because it just at least gives a template or a scaffolding to start to ask more important questions. And it's not that you have to do all these things, but it's, it's that there's enough of a framework here to start to investigate and start to look for those root cause reasons and, and enough like little simple low hanging fruit to at least apply some of them that, that may be, you know, the thing for you that, that resolves a lot of the core issues. So. Well, there's uh, our yeah. home play, right? Yeah. Take one or two things that me and Nick shared today, start putting it into action, you know, and then just keep going. And, yep. and then you'll see those changes over time. Measure, use a device, whether it's the Fitbit, the Aura, Whoop. I mean, just use something to get a general idea of what's going on with your sleep patterns. But yeah, measure and test, measure and test. That's it, buddy. Awesome. Uh, and and one, one more thing I think that needs to be said. If you're curious about EMF, because EMF is a big connection to a lot of these sleep disturbances, which we just didn't have time to get into, go and listen to the podcast we did with Nick Pinot. Uh, the EMF guy and that'll because that's another obviously huge disruptor uh, when we're talking about sleep hygiene so yes. with with that that's a wrap that's a wrap, that's a wrap. <laughs> love you brother this yeah I love fun. you too man yeah take care everybody thanks for listening if you enjoyed today's podcast please be sure to subscribe to the Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends you can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.